1: Happy New Year to all of you. This is Rick Morton coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today on the Defender Bible Study, we're going to do something a little different um, because we're in this week between Christmas and New Year's and and with uh, the change in our holiday schedule, we're going to share a little bonus content with you today. And so uh, this is a sermon that Herbie preached for Orphan Sunday um, just a few weeks back on November the 7th, uh, 2021 at Shoal Creek Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Um, We're really thankful that we have the opportunity to be able to share with church partners uh, around the country and to be able to spend time with them to talk about how we can put the gospel on display in the way that we care for orphans and the way we care for vulnerable children and the way we care for vulnerable families. and so Herbie's going to unpack that from the scriptures today. Um, hope you'll find this to be an encouragement to you. We'll be back next week with, uh, with another edition of the Defender Bible study picking up in our study of Romans. Uh, but for, for today, we're going to join Herbie at Shoal Creek Baptist Church just a few weeks ago and listen in on, uh, the sermon that he shared with that church. So without further ado, uh, here's Herbie Newell, um, sharing with us today.
0: Well, what a privilege it is to be here with you this morning and open up God's Word, to see His call that He's placed on all of us to care for the orphan, for the vulnerable, for the vulnerable family, and for the vulnerable child. And it is such a great honor to be able to open that Word. So I know as a church that you have been walking through the book of Ruth, and you're about halfway through the book of Ruth, and Instead of departing from that study, I thought I would bring that study back up this morning as we actually look at God's call to care for the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, the stranger, and the alien. Because I believe the the chapter you looked at just last week is a perfect application to what God calls us to. So before we get back to Ruth chapter two, I wanna take you through God's word and show you this biblical mandate for us to care for the orphan, the vulnerable child, the vulnerable family, for the stranger, for the alien all around us. I truly believe that as we show hospitality, the least of these, if we stay rooted in the gospel, then our acts of justice, actually become opportunities for kingdom advancement. And so today on Orphan Sunday, we're not just talking about how we can help in a justice type of way, but we're also talking about how we can go in a gospel advancement type of way. You see, Christ is shining through the darkness and he's creating a prism of light through the gospel. Children who have never felt love Are beginning to love others. And family who believed that they had no hope are now speaking hope to others. And women who believed they had no future are now seeing a future that is unimaginable through the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so, really quick, I don't know for all of you, I know that this has been a crazy 20 months. We're in the midst, I guess still, of a global pandemic and It's changed life and it's changed different attitudes and and ways that we go around. And for many of you, you may have done things during the last 20 months that that were kind of out of your comfort zone. And for us as a family, we decided to adopt a dog. And so we actually are one of those folks with the COVID dog. And we thought about it. We prayed about it. We really thought we shouldn't, but we ended up doing it. And the reason we thought we shouldn't is because so far as a family, we have managed to kill every animal we've ever brought into our home. We've actually, no joke, killed nine betta fish. Betta fish you're not supposed to kill. We found the way to kill all nine of them and in dramatic fashion. Even cardiac arrest in the middle of dinner of one betta fish after we'd had it for three days. So we thought it'd be a good idea to bring on a dog. I am the, the prototypical dad. One day, my kids call me. They're home alone. My 16-year-old is taking care of his sisters, and he says, Dad, I think something is wrong. The dog's name is Bear with Bear. And so he FaceTimes me, and pro- I mean, just typical dad response, he'll be fine. Just let him walk it off. You know, he'll be fine. My wife happens to come home, by God's grace, for the dog and realizes the dog is not okay, takes the dog to the vet. The dog has a collapsed lung. That's not cheap, by the way. So this COVID dog now is is really starting to cost us something. But my kids are in complete and total meltdown that the dog is going to die. And so I did something that I said I would never do, which is spend money to save the life of an animal. I saved the life of this animal. Six months later, he decides to swallow a magnet. (laughs) By the way, that's not good for dogs. So he has now had two surgeries now to take out this magnet. And yes, the dog is not finished. Some About a month ago, he ate a plum pit. By the way, those are toxic to dogs. And so we have almost killed this dog now three times. But what I've seen is my kids, every single time, be brought to tears, be brought to just agony over this dog. And, and what I've realized through our horrible, wretched opportunities with animals is that my kids are able to love nine little betta fish and a 14-pound dog with everything that they can muster because they have received love. You see, we know how to love others. We know how to love other people because we have been shown love. And this morning, church, what I want us to see is if you are in Christ, you have been shown incredible love. You've been shown the love of a father who, while you were sinners, died for you. And in turn, we're now called to show that love to the world. We're now shown called to show that love to the vulnerable, to the hurting, to the weak, to the stranger, to the alien, to the widow, and to the orphan. And so, beloved, I want... This morning, for us to see through God's word, how we can show that powerful love to the 141 million orphans around the world, and how we can show that powerful love to the almost half a million kids in U.S. foster care, and how even this year, we can show love to the over 3 million women who will seek abortion in their time of need. We have the love of Christ, and we must show it and display it to the world. I love what Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, says. He says, To fill empty bellies, to build shelters for the homeless, and to put silver and gold in the cups of beggars without any concern for the eternal nature of their souls is an exercise of futility. Our hope should always be the gospel. Our hope should always be that people would hear, understand, and come to know God in a powerful way. Sharing the gospel is the sharp edge of mission. If we lose that, we lose real mission. If we lose evangelism, we may as well be the peace corps, helping people in the here and now, but not giving two cents if they go to hell. Let's not create a mission that makes us feel better about ourselves and doesn't solve anything in regard to the deepest hurts of humanity. When we do acts of mercy and justice without the gospel as our motivation and our hope, We are really just chasing after the wind. So this morning as God's chosen people, we reach out to the hurting, the vulnerable, and the weak because we believe that their hope is in the gospel of Christ Jesus and that the gospel is their rescue. So this morning, if you have your Bible, we're gonna go to a lot of places in God's word before we end up back in Ruth chapter two. I believe you're gonna see many of these up on the screen, but I wanna take us through both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we see the mandate that God has put upon his people to care for the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. The first place that we're gonna see is Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse 17. This is what it says. It says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in your field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. We see three specific types of people that God calls his people to care for in this passage. The sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. These were three groups as landless people that represented the most vulnerable in the land. These were three categories of the vulnerable that we continue to see, and you'll see this morning from God's word, these are some of the most vulnerable people that God draws out his people to care for. A sojourner had no property, no land, no citizenship and no home. The fatherless have no support, no family or no place to call home. And the widow has no protector, no provider and many times no place to go. And yet our God is calling his people to step into their story with his love, his care and his compassion. Do gospel-driven justice. That leads us to Leviticus. And we see in the Levitical code many times as well, God stepping out to tell his people to care. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up until its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Because I am Yahweh, your God, God's covenant name. I'm I'm your covenant-making God. And because of that, you shall care for the poor and the sojourner. In the Levitical laws, the Lord is consistently providing for the vulnerable through his people. And he's showing that pure religion is caring for others by surrendering your own rights. That's why the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter one, verse 16 through 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Isaiah is showing people that the way back to him is turning from their own pride, arrogance, and demands and caring for the vulnerable image bears. When we care for the vulnerable, we begin to think less about ourselves and more about the Lord. And ultimately, as we will see next, when we show this level of care, we're actually mimicking the care that the Father has for us and has for the vulnerable and has for his people. Psalm chapter 146. Starting in verse five, it says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his covenant name, his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. We see in the Old Testament that the people were fatherless and the Lord makes them a family through Abraham. They were strangers and he gives them a land. They were without a husband and the Lord becomes their husband. And that is the theology of adoption, the mandate to care for orphans that we see in the Old Testament. But it continues in the New Testament as well, as we see that we were strangers and God gives us his presence through Jesus. We were orphans and we were adopted through the gospel of Christ Jesus. We were widows and yet we have now become the bride of Christ. Do you see how even in the Old Testament, when God told his people through the law to care for this triad, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, that he was really showing us a picture of his redemption, that he would be the one that would bring us into a homeland, that he would be the one that would adopt us and that he would be the one that would create us into his bride, brothers and sisters. The reason that we care for the vulnerable, the reason that we care for the orphan, the reason that we care for the fatherless is because we're showing a picture of the gospel. When we do so, we're putting a taste of the gospel on the lips of the vulnerable. We go to the vulnerable because God has told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love others better than you love yourself. And we go to the vulnerable because Jesus has told us in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, into all nations, baptizing others in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations. We go because of the great commandment, and we go because of the great commission. And that leads us to what we see in the New Testament about our mandate to care. First, we see in Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son of a son that an heir through God. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you have access to the author, sustainer, and creator of the universe. Why? Because he's your daddy. Several years ago, actually sweet Emily and I got to go to the White House. And I had the opportunity to go to be a meeting with the President Trump's domestic policy council to talk about foster care in the United States. And we had to go through all types of, uh, of screenings to be able to even be invited to go in. We had to give our social security number, our blood type, our bank accounts. I mean, it, it felt like truly everything that we had to give and because they wanted to make sure that we were gonna be safe to have access into the West Wing of the White House. And I remember going through the security system And the doors are literally a foot thick and it makes TSA screenings at the airports look like a joke. But the crazy thing about the White House that I had never experienced is on the other side of the screening, there's no one there. Like for a moment, you have complete access. And and I kind of felt like a goober from Alabama as I'm going around. I got no idea where to go, but there's no one to show me. There's no one to take me there. At this point, they trust me to go and have, have access. Now, if you get too close to an office that's round in shape, they'll let you know. Um, there's a little guy with an earbud and he'll let you know. But for a moment, I had access to one of the most powerful offices in the world. And so we had our meeting, we did a little tour and then we left. But here's the thing, once we left, if I had decided, you know what? There was one more thing I wanted to do. I couldn't just knock on the door And be granted access again. I was invited for a certain moment and for a certain time, and for that moment, I had access. And brothers and sisters, here's the deal: if you are a follower of Christ, because of your adoption in Christ, you have access to the Author, Creator, and the Sustainer of the universe. And it's not just for a glimmer or for a second, but it's for all eternity. You are a child of God, and. He is your father and you have access. And so I ask, we need to be praying. We need to be on our knees before our father on behalf of others, on behalf of the gospel going forth, and on behalf of our care for the vulnerable. We are the children of God. And and so we have his presence and we have intimacy. As it says, we could cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, to the God of the world. And then Romans continues this. Now, sisters, we read both of these passages and it says you're sons of God. Now, this this is not some weird, you know, current cultural reality, but this is a beautiful reality. You see, when Paul was pinning these words, what he was basically saying is that when you become a believer, when you become a child of God, you become like the firstborn son of God. And that's why it's so important where we see this word heir. You become an heir of God. Which you means you will inherit the kingdom of God. The reason we can have such hope as believers is because we know that one day we will inherit the kingdom of God and we will be with God. We will, in, we are inheritance. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, that is unpenetratable because we have been adopted legally by our father and we are seen as firstborn sons of God. And so we mimic the father's love. And then the passage in the New Testament that so many people go to when it comes to our mandate and call to care is James chapter one, verse 27. And James says this, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled. Some of your versions may say faultless before God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world." This is a call to gospel-driven justice for the orphan and the widow, and also a call to personal holiness in gospel proclamation. The truth of the matter is we usually only pay attention to half of this verse, and that's the call to personal holiness. We do a great job preaching and thinking about personal holiness, but we do it sometimes while ignoring the gospel-driven duty to care for the vulnerable. You would think that your pastor was a complete hypocrite if he would get up and say, personal holiness is just for a select few of you. It's just a calling for a few. All the rest of you, you can, you can ignore the commands of the Lord. They're not for you. They're only for a select few. But the truth of the matter is we look at the first part of the verse to care for orphans and vulnerable children in their distress, to visit them, to look after them. And we think, well, that's only for a few people that's only for a select few. That's only for young families or or married couples. And we relegate this ministry of hospitality to a few or we just do enough just to check a box. And so I want us to look quickly at this command from Jesus and from James and what it really means. I don't want us to ignore the personal holiness, but I want us to see what does it mean to visit or to look after. Because I'm not going to lie, when I first started at Lifeline and I saw James 1.27, I kind of had my own version. And I thought, oh, this means, you know, we're to adopt, we're to foster. But that's that. this word is actually so much richer than just to adopt or to foster, to visit, to look after. And we see this Greek word in Hebrew in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament as well. The very same word that James uses here. We see that a religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is to go after orphans and vulnerable children and, and not just visit them, but to take ownership and responsibility for their needs, to have a deep concern. It's as if the Jesus and it's as if the Lord is saying, they're your responsibility. Church, they're, they're not meant to be the government's responsibility. They're not meant to be the elite's responsibility. They're not meant to be humanitarian's responsibility, but church, they're meant to be your responsibility. And that this is the type of religion that God our Father accepts. So I want us to see first in Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 to 25. We see the same word twice in this passage. Joseph says to his brothers, he's, he's about to die. He says, I'm about to get die, but God, and here's the verse, will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph, at the end of his life, was assuring the people that God would come and take care of his people. Again, this wasn't a simple like visit. God wasn't just going to come in and say, well, hi, how you doing, right? He wasn't just going to come over for a meal, but he was coming to actually care for his people and to rescue his people, to bring them up out of the land and up out of slavery and bring them into a promised land. God's going to come to you. He's going to look after you and he's going to take responsibility for your needs. He is going to care with you with a deep concern, Joseph was giving a messianic promise of what Jesus would ultimately come to do, to come and care and, and redeem his people. But then we see in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, the psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, and here it is, that you care for him. This is the same word used in James 1.27. God in his greatness and his splendor, the author, the creator, and the sustainer of the universe, he stoops down to look after us, to visit us, and to show deep concern for us. While he upholds the, the universe and oversees the stars, he takes time to stoop down and to care for his people. And then we see in Luke chapter 1, Zachariah is praying and and praising God after the birth of, of John the Baptist. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. And that's that word again. He's visited and redeemed his people. This is Zachariah giving praise to God for the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Literally, the Lord came in the form of Jesus to visit, to care, and to redeem his people. Zachariah is through a blessing and through a prayer, preparing the way for his son, John, who would prepare the way for Jesus, who would come and redeem his people. What John would physically prepare, Jesus would come and would settle once and for all. And then lastly, we look at Matthew chapter 25. Verses 36 and 43 are two contrary verses of either side of the the famous parable of the goats and the sheep. Those who did unto the least of these inherited the kingdom of God. And those who did not do to the least of these were separated from the presence of God. And we see this word pop up again. Verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 43 says, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you, and this is the opposite of the word, you did not care for me, come to me, visit me, take responsibility for me. This one word from the Old Testament and the New Testament is teaching us that God in his character is concerned after looking after his people and coming to his people and caring for them. And God through James is telling us that religion that is true, that is faultless, that is pure, is religion that goes to the neediest, the orphan and the widow, and cares for them, takes responsibility for them, and ultimately points them to the God that can redeem them and make them whole. So beloved, the opposite of true religion is a religion that ignores, forgets, and neglects Those who are needy, sick, hungry, poor, stranger, orphan, and the widow. So I want to ask us this morning, do we have a true religion or do we have a false religion? God gives this mandate to his people to care. But like you've been walking through the book of Ruth, he gives us a beautiful application You know, a lot of times God gives commands, but we don't actually see an application through his word of how to follow that command. But what I want us to see as we close this morning in Ruth, the book that you've been walking through and will continue to walk through, is that God gives us an application of what this looks like. He says, I want you to care for the stranger. I want you to care for the the fatherless and I want you to care for the widow. And I'm going to show you what this looks like. And in Ruth chapter 2, we see Boaz. We see him demonstrate Deuteronomy chapter 24. We see him demonstrate the care for the vulnerable that we see in the Levitical passages. We see him demonstrate James 1.27 as he cares for Ruth. You've been walking through Ruth. And so I know you're familiar that the Moabites and the Israelites completely hated each other. Right? We think Alabama and Auburn is a fierce rivalry. It ain't nothing compared to the Moabites and the Israelites. If you've ever been to the country of India, don't say anything about Pakistan. They literally can't stand each other. This is like the Palestinians and the Israelites right now today in Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. It is complete and utter anathema to be for the opposite people group. And that's what we walk into. And so the interesting thing about Ruth as she stumbles into Ruth chapter two is that literally she's a stranger alien. She's left her homeland. She's left everything that she's known to go with her mother-in-law, which by the way, I'm sure y'all have talked about that. But how many people would follow their mother-in-law, right? I mean, that's just, that's crazy right there, right? Many people wanna do everything they can to avoid their mother-in-law, and Ruth is going, no, no, no. I'm going to leave everything I know to go with my mother-in-law. So that's already crazy. So she's a stranger and she's an alien. Obviously, you know, her husband has passed away. So she's a widow. But then functionally, she's also an orphan. Because there was so much hatred between the Moabites and the Israelites to walk and go with her mother-in-law. To, if even married an Israelite man as a Moabite, her family would have completely denied her and pretty much said, don't ever come back. Probably the reason she was following her mother-in-law is because she knew she couldn't go back home because she was now an orphan. And so here, a stranger alien, a fatherless orphan, and a widow comes into the field of Boaz. And as I'm sure you know, this is narrated, and so we see things that Ruth doesn't see. We see the hand of God that Ruth is walking along. But look at the care of Boaz for this stranger alien, this orphan, and this widow. Starting in Ruth chapter two, verse one. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the the clan of Elimelech. Don't you love how scripture says she happened to come? By the hand of God, she comes to the field of Boaz. Verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of his reapers. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Do you see that take notice? The same word we saw in James 127, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Do you see the gospel advancement of Boaz? This is not about me. This is about the Lord. The Lord who brought you to my fields and whose wings and whose shadow of the wings you are now under. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. In other words, don't just let her pick over the leftovers. But if she starts picking the good stuff, like don't rebuke her, but let her do it. And also pull out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up to the city to her mother-in-law, saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her food she had left over after being satisfied. God is gracious here to give us a picture of what it means to care for the vulnerable. But in the application here, we see two things. We see, number one, how we are to care, but we also see how as we care, we're really showing the Father's care for us, and for his children. What a beautiful example of following the commands of God, but also mimicking the gospel of Christ Jesus. So I want us to see quickly six commands that we see, and we see the application of those commands here in Ruth chapter two. The first thing we see is we are to take notice of orphans. Verse five of of Ruth chapter two, Boaz says to his young men, And he takes notice of Ruth. He says, whose young woman is this? And then in verse eight, he comes up to Ruth and he says, don't go to another field or leave this one, but stay close. Boaz takes notice of Ruth. You know, for the vulnerable, for the orphan, many times the hardest thing in their life is there's no one to take notice. There's no one to see them. They they live in a world that feels vacant. They live in a world where they're maybe going from one place to another. They live in a world where no one sees what they do. I remember the first time I went to China into an orphanage, and I I went into one of the largest orphanages in all of China. About 3,500 kids at the time were in this orphanage. And I remember what I thought was gonna happen was I was gonna go and my senses would be overwhelmed because all of these kids, 3,500 kids would be going crazy. And it would be one of the loudest places I had ever been. But what shocked me was that the sound that I heard in this orphanage was silence. These kids had lost their voice because when they cried, no one came. And our God is asking us to take notice. But in the same way, We take notice because the Lord took notice of us that while we were yet sinners, that while we were outcasts, Christ died. Romans chapter five, verse six, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we take notice of orphans because we've been taken notice of by God. But the second thing of application that we see from this passage is that we provide for orphans. Boaz takes care of Ruth's needs for her food, for her shelter, for her clothing, and for her essentials. Verse 8 says, Boaz says to her, now listen, my daughter, don't go to another field or leave this one, but stay close to me. He goes on to tell her, I I will take care of your needs. Let your eyes be on the field. Have I not charged my young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz isn't reluctant in his care of Ruth, but he's extravagant. Even telling his young men not to rebuke her and to actually take some out of what they have have gleaned and leave it on the ground for her. I want to ask us are we making our fields available? Are we making our resources available in the same way for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow? God has so richly provided for us. Are we providing reluctantly and out of compulsion or out of joy, out of service before the Lord? Matthew chapter 6 Verse 25 to 24, it tells us that God cares for our needs. (laughs) The verse says, oh, you of little faith, why are you anxious saying what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But don't you know that your heavenly father provides every single one of these so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. In the same way that we care and provide extravagantly, our God has cared for us extravagantly. And so as we care, as we, as we provide for the orphan, our God provides for us. But then the third part of application we see is that Boaz affirms and blesses Ruth. And in the same way, we should affirm and bless the vulnerable. Children and their mothers can live in a world of pain and rejection with fear of further loss. And Boaz speaks affectionately and kindly to remind Ruth of her value to God. When we do this for others, it's like pouring rain on a dry ground. Ruth chapter two, verse 12, Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. God spoke sweet words of redemption and has wooed us while we were far away. First John chapter three, verse one, see what kind of love the father has for you that we shall be called children of God. Oh, God woos us with his words of redemption. And so we must bless and affirm the vulnerable. The fourth thing we see of application from Ruth chapter two is that we're called to protect orphans. Boaz protects Ruth and advocates for her safety. He made her a priority, not a burden. We must not be burdened by the commands of God, but joyfully serve the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Ruth chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, says that Boaz continued to care for Ruth extravagantly, to protect her, to tell his young men to wrap around her, to make sure she was safe. Brothers and sisters, Jesus with joy protects us from the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us not, let us lay aside every weight that hinders and every sin that sing, clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Our great God. Oh, he protects us from the wrath of sin when we are in him. And then the fifth piece of application we see is that we honor orphans by bringing them in, by bringing them in close. Boaz invites Ruth, this stranger, this orphan, and this widow to his table. And this wasn't just like taking someone by Chick-fil-A and getting them a number one, right? This isn't just feeding her. Boaz brings her in To his table. And meals in this time were were intimate and they were personal. So when Boaz invites Ruth to his table, this wasn't charity, this was intimacy. This was honoring Ruth. He wasn't just feeding her and providing for her, but he was treating her like an equal. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to care for the vulnerable in such a way that we not look down upon their low station, but we look upon them as an equal in the eyes of our God. We must love and bless and honor the fatherless because that's what Jesus has done for us. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 4 he has brought me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. Oh. We bring orphans in by showing them the love of Christ, the love that we've been given. And then last but certainly not least, and I apologize to your pastor, because I'm gonna give you a preview of what's to come in Ruth. I'm gonna tell you Ruth chapter three is PG 13. It's pretty crazy. There's this night at the, 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 the reaping floor and it would be R, except that Ruth and Boaz sleep head to foot. So there's no there's no snuggling going on at the reaping floor, but it's, it's pretty scandalous. But Naomi sends Ruth to the reaping floor, obviously, because Boaz is a potential kinsman redeemer. And what is, what does that mean? He was someone who could not just care for her, protect her, honor her, bring her in, have her at meals, but he is someone who could bring redemption to her and to Naomi. He could make her a citizen, he could make her a wife, and he could make her a child of a family. And ultimately, that's what we see in Ruth chapter 4. Giving away the ending and the climax, and I apologize, but Ruth becomes the wife of Boaz, but also is is adopted into Boaz's family and now is a citizen. And ultimately, God is calling some of us to adopt and to foster in such a way that a child becomes a part of a family, a part of our name and our heritage and has opportunity for immense hope for a future. And beloved, we do this because ultimately this is what Jesus Christ, the greatest kinsman redeemer, has done for us. As the psalmist says in Psalm 68, 5-6, six, God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows. He sets the solitary in families and he, needs, he leads out the neglected to prosperity. In Isaiah 58, Verses nine through 10, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your mist, the pointing of your finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, you shall see your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water who waters do not fail. The gospel shows believers that we are not rescuers of these children, but we are those who have been rescued by Christ. And so we go. We go to care for the fatherless. We go to care for the widow and the stranger. Five quick things as a church, practically speaking, that you can do. One, and I hear of it already, adoption ministry. Helping families explore adoption, supporting families before, during, and after adoption, and helping families fund their adoption. We can all be called to adoption ministry. The second is foster care ministry. Recruiting and training foster families. Recruiting and training respite families and families to take foster care placements by prayer, acts of service, and pointing to the promises of God. We can minister to the government and the government system just like you are caring for DHR in their room. There's so many things we can do through foster care ministry. Strategic orphan care. As we go to the nations, we can look and care for the 141 million orphans around the world. We can teach them life skills and job skills and lean into them where they are. Birth parent and reunification ministry is number four. And I know your church has recently gone through a family's count training of helping restore families to their children that they've lost to foster care and lost to the system. And then last, but certainly not least, we can make this ministry a regular focus of our church. Orphan Sunday is a great place to start, but let it not end here, but let us spur one another on to good works. Beloved, We are all called to care. We're all commanded to use our lives to get engaged with the poor and the marginalized. And so my question today is following the commands of the Bible, what will you do? What will be your next step? For some of you, that next step may be you've heard about a kinsman redeemer. You've heard about a God that will adopt you, and you're sitting there realizing You don't know that adoptive love. Maybe you've had head knowledge of the Bible. You've you've heard the stories, but you don't know what it really means to be a child of God. Just a minute after I pray, some of your pastors are gonna be here at the front. And I wanna invite you. You can't give away love that you do not have. And so if you've never experienced the adopted love of Christ, let today on Orphan Sunday, be the day that you as a spiritual orphan finally find a forever family, the family of God. And not only would this be a great day to join the family of God, but what a great church to disciple you and to help you grow to know what it means to be a child of God. Let's pray And if you want to come to know what it means to be a child of God, come and see one of your ministers up front. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word, how rich and how vibrant your word is. Lord, you have called us as your children to go and to mimic your care for us, to the orphan, to the the vulnerable, to the alien, and to the widow. And Lord, I pray that with the gospel beating in our chest, that we would go in such a way that we would make the gospel known. Lord, I pray that Shoal Creek Baptist Church would be a light on a hill, that would be a beacon of hope to the world. And I pray that many men, women, boys, and girls called according to your purpose would go, would go and care for the marginalized, would go and care for the vulnerable, would go and care for the orphan in such a way that your gospel goes forth and that spiritual orphans in Alabama and spiritual orphans around the world would see the way we care, would see the way we mimic you. And Lord, by your spirit, you would draw them into your family. May this ministry of reconciliation not only be a physical manifestation but may it be a spiritual manifestation as well. Lord, we love you. We pray if there are those who do not know you, that you would call them unto yourself, and that they would become a child of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at infolifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.